Welcome to the big league. Welcome back to the ballpark. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and you have made it back to the big league for episode two. We have one of the greatest pitchers the MLB has ever seen. A flame-throwing lefty, back-to-back-to-back world champion, Vita Blue, joins us here. We got the field painted blue. We got the sky blue. It's me. It's you. I'm chewing blue. Big League Chew. You really can't beat this. Well, the only way you could beat it is if you had a custom glove from Rico Gloves. As you know, Big League is powered by Rico Gloves, the very best in custom baseball gloves. And if you want to check them out, head over to RicoGloves.com. I guarantee you, after listening to this episode, if you open up the glove customizer, that glove you're going to create is going to be six different shades of blue. Blue on blue on blue on blue. You won't be blue, though. You'll be happy because we got a special one here. I have a big announcement before we get into the interview with Vita Blue. Uh, This year, Vita Blue's celebrity golf tournament that goes towards his great mission at the Northern Lights School in Oakland has been scheduled for Monday, October 5th, 2020. It will be at the Sequoia Country Club in Oakland, California. And if you guys want to see some coverage, just Google it. We We filmed a special there last year, and it was a blast. For more information, call Michelle Lewis at 510-289-3990. And we'll see you out on the greens. Now, do not be blue. He's come for you. The man from Mansfield, the great Vita Blue. <laughs> Vita, how are you? I am great, man. I'm great. Uh, going through some tough times now, but we'll get through this thing together is the, is the key to the whole thing. Together. We got to do this together as a country, as a world, matter of fact, as a nation, as a planet. It's it's crazy times, but uh, we can get through this stuff. I know we can. Absolutely. And together is the name of the game. And that's how this party came to be. Uh, you said, you know what? All of these sponsors that have been there for our foundation, that have been there for the Northern Lights School for all these years, we want to do something fun for them. And here we are now talking history, talking blue, talking baseball, and we're happy to have you here. And it's amazing what you do for all your sponsors and partners. Yeah, well, I'm excited the fact that they've been so uh, supportive of what we do here at Northern Lights School. But, you know, they have a thing in the area called Takeout Tuesdays and Takeout Thursdays. But with our sponsor, we want you to be able to call them up anytime and go and do the, the uh, takeout portion of, of what they provide for the Bay Area here. Uh, we got some great sponsors, like I said, and uh, foods of all types. Uh, I'm from Louisiana, so I'm a big seafood guy, but... Uh, if you looked at my waistline now, uh, you know that I eat mostly. I'm like, Mike, I eat anything. <laughs> but of course you like it when it's coming from one of your first sponsors ever when you opened that we were just talking about, Scott Seafood. I mean, yeah. how was that to get the first check for the foundation? Well, I wasn't involved with school at that time, but, you know, anytime you're, you're out trying to raise funds and anytime somebody steps up to the plate to write that inaugural big check, that, that's always uh, – a memory that you never forget because you're struggling at the time. And the school was founded in uh, September 11, 89, Michelle Lewis, I think she told me. So, you know, anytime you can get that initial inaugural support, that one check, man, that kickstarts everything. And uh, we haven't looked back since then. No, you sure haven't. And it's incredible what you do for the kids in Oakland year after year. So let's take it back to your childhood. 
what was it like, typical day, when you're a grade school kid at the same age down in Louisiana? <laughs> Man, it was it was tough times, but uh, I can tell you one thing about my childhood, Charlie. I got lots of love from my family and friends, and, uh, you know, I was a typical kid. I played stickball and played strikeout against the, uh, the garage door uh, in my mom's house, and uh, I had, like I said, I had nothing but love and admiration from family and friends. Uh, in my neighborhood, there were the Hudson brothers, there was like six of them. So they're some of my best friends. I still stay in touch with them now. They live in New Jersey, New York area. And uh, we grew up together. One one of the brothers was my first high school catcher. And uh, we talk about what we did as, as kids all the time. But uh, I had a fun childhood. And uh, so I know the importance of what it means to be a kid. And uh, anytime I can make a difference in a kid's life, I, I make it a point to try to, to make that happen. Now, when you were a kid playing stickball, did you shine brighter than all the kids? Were you noticing you had something something extra on those Spaldines? No, man, because I was impersonating Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Mickey Mellon and Whitey Ford and Sandy Koufax because, well, Whitey Ford and Koufax both were left-handed. So, you know, when you know how you call out your team and you call out your, your position and call out who you are. Right. I didn't realize I was just having fun, man. And I didn't realize that it was going to turn into something that's special, but I've been blessed to get a chance to do something that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, I don't think of playing major league baseball as work. It was quite an honor to represent uh, major league baseball at the major league level. And, uh, but I played minor league ball in a league, double a three, a triple a. Then the next year I made it to the major league. So I wrote those buses and, uh, you know, I, I, I have a crate story if you got a minute. I got brought my first baseball mitt from my, my – I have four sisters, the two that are close to me, uh, twin sisters, Cheryl and Jean. So we decided we're going to go pick cotton this one week. So the, we picked cotton for a whole week in Louisiana, cotton is king in Louisiana. And uh, I went to Sears and Robux and bought my first baseball mitt from picking cotton. Wow. And yeah, crazy story, man. A true story. I got on the uh, well, Sears and Robux were the initial. The the really they were the first Amazon. So I got on the phone, got the old catalog number, read out the number, and the lady said it'll be such and such such young man. You can pick it up C O D at Sears Robux in Mansfield, Louisiana. They had a little satellite office there. So my mint was a was was uh. Ted Williams was big in sports. He had just retired. You know, he was he was one of the first guys to come on TV doing sports. But his name was on Sears and Robux on their fishing poles, their their shotguns, their rifles, all the hunting equipment, the boots, the hunting gear, all that stuff, and baseball bats and baseball mitts. So my mitt had a Ted Williams stamp on it, oh, and uh, wow. pretty cool, yeah. But then also to 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 make the story more interesting is that the man we picked kind for was a person of color and he was one of my school bus drivers his name was mr horace dinkins dinkins and uh, i picked cotton for a whole week and the money i made from picking cotton i bought my first baseball man wow and now what year or what age did you start to feel like this is realistic that i could you know go to the majors oh man again it was it was still just a little pipe dream charlie my sport was football i enjoyed playing football that was my number one sport and i played baseball because you know it was nothing to do after after football season was over, uh, I mean, basketball season was over, I didn't play basketball either. So I was ready to get a little, get back out there on the field. So uh, we formed a baseball team and uh, my, my, the offensive line coach for the, 
football team became the head coach of the baseball team. What position were you playing yeah. in football? I played, I was a triple option quarterback. Wow. Yeah, man. And uh, roll out le- right and throw back to my left, you know. <laughs> oh, that was like an early Kenny the Snake Stabler back there that's with the exactly, lefty. But yeah, that's true. And later on in life, that's who I would have wanted to be. But my man at that time, uh, the high tops himself, Mr. Johnny Unitas, he was, I used wow. to throw the bomb all the time. Wearing those high tops, and uh, he was throwing the Raymond Berry at that Ray, but yeah, yeah, Barry, yeah, Ray Berry at that time, and uh, I remember Lenny Moore playing for the for the uh, coach too. So those were my people, man. I was a coach fan through and through. Wow. So how was the decision making process in in putting the full attention onto baseball? Well, the way I became a baseball player was that unfortunately, my I lost my dad my senior year in high school. And uh, that narrowed down my, you know, my mother's, you want you to go to college, get an education, da, 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 da. Right. And long come the, the Oakland A's with a contract of, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars. My dad worked in a steel mill. So, you know, like what happens to a lot of kids at that age at 18, you become the breadwinner. I'm the oldest of six. Like I mentioned, I had four sisters and a brother. So uh, that put me in a position to become the breadwinner and, uh, Signing a contract out of high school meant that we would obviously get some some uh, financial revenue right then and there from a signing bonus. So that's what I did. I mean, at 17 years old, that's a major responsibility to take on your shoulders. What What's going yeah, through your is. head? Well, the good Lord put me in a position to do that, Charlie. So it worked out for the better. Uh, uh, one of my sisters is a retired banker. One is a chemist. One is in law enforcement. And uh, one worked for the Sunbeam Corporation back in Shreveport, Louisiana. And now your grandpa had history in the Negro Leagues, correct? Yes, he did. My grandfather, he bounced around a little bit. You know, I think he was one of those guys that when, when the teams would come through these little towns, that he would be one of the guys that would get together and, and form a team and give them some competition on that given Saturday or Sunday. But uh, all my uncles were athletes. Uh, two uncles played football one played basketball uh my grandfather my father and two of my uncles in the military so when i was playing baseball i was in the oakland working at the oakland army base as an army reservist i worked at presidio oakland army base which are pretty close but uh duty stations were fort lewis washington i've been to uh fayetteville north carolina when i did basic training so i did that as i was playing major league baseball working at the Oakland Army Base as a reservist. What? Wait, so what years were that that you were in the Army? That was from 1979 to 75. Wow. 76, yeah. So you're, yep. you're just getting in the league. So 67, you're 17 years old, and now you're right. going into your first training leagues. And and that puts you where, Kansas City? No, when I signed, when I signed my contract, I, I got drafted as a member of the Kansas City A's, but I signed my contract as a member of the Oakland A's. Finley was moving the franchise from Kansas City to Oakland at that time. So uh, I got a chance to be a be a Kansas City A for a couple of days and uh, signed my contract as an Oakland A's. So uh, then I went to my first time I left home as a kid, I went to Phoenix, Arizona to the Instructional League, which takes place in uh, uh, Lab. First of October, I'm, I'm sorry, latter part of October, going into November for like four weeks. Then I got a break and went home for uh, for Thanksgiving to visit my mom as a as a professional baseball player. Oh wow! 
Wow. And what's, so now you're a professional baseball player and your first time coming back home. What's the dynamic now? Is mom saying, oh, you know, like, Vite, I'm proud of you? Is she still saying you should be getting an education? What What's going on there? She was still saying, take out the garbage, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that status didn't mean nothing till, till Sally Blue herself. She was still, you know, tomorrow's son, you better go to bed or because we are going to church tomorrow, Junior. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's what my mom called me Junior all the time. <laughs> And what's it like? Did you realize at that point, I'm now playing, uh, it's a kid from Louisiana, I'm now playing for a team that's founded in 1901. You know, that's one of the coolest <laughs> things about baseball. It's so old. I'm playing for a team that's founded in 1901, representing that kind of history. What kind of pride did you have once you got drafted? Well, I, I still was like the deer in the headlights. I still didn't realize what, what I was getting myself into, you know, and uh my goal was to make it to the major leagues, but like I mentioned, I played single A one year, double A the next year, triple A the third year, and the fourth year I made it to the major leagues. And uh, it was a true test because uh, during that time and in the late 60s, you know, integration and segregation, all that stuff was still going on, right. race ride and that whole thing. So I, my second year in professional, my first year I went to Burlington, Iowa. That was my home base. So I've been to Waterloo, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Dubuque, Iowa, Appleton, Wisconsin, Wisconsin Rapids. And that was my first year riding those buses, man, and seeing all those soybeans and cornfield. <laughs> How do you keep entertained that Iowa and Wisconsin all that time? You eat a lot of, uh, uh, what's the little small hamburgers I'm trying to think of? Sliders, yeah. Little sliders? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they were they were both they were both filling and they were both like a diuretic, you know. They you would you never got constipated. Them, I know that <laughs> keeps you moving, folks. Yeah. Now, now, like you said, not only is your baseball career taken off, 1969, you're on the Oakland A's roster, but the country is also in a crazy time of evolution, and you are right, in the heart right, of right. it. You're in the Bay Area. You know, where you got the, the Black Panther Party. You got the Hells Angels going on. What What's the dynamic of just living there at that time? I am, I am again, kid from Mansfield, Louisiana. I'm wondering what the hell I get myself into because the Black Panthers were pretty prevalent at that time. And, uh, you know, the race riots, as I mentioned, were going on. And uh, Oakland was just a, a laid-back, blue-collar town. And, you know, the big city was San Francisco. So Oakland uh, kind of just kind of was a stepsister to San Francisco, but all of a sudden the Panthers raised their head and uh, became a, a symbol of, of uh, something for a lot of black folks. Right. And um, I dealt with that, but let me, let me rewind and go back to my second year in, in the minors. I played in the Southern league, which meant I played in Birmingham. Birmingham was my home base. Wow. But we played in Montgomery. I played in Asheville, North Carolina. I played in Columbus, Georgia. I played in Savannah, Georgia. So, and um, I heard some horror stories about from some of the African American players that were out in the outfield, folks calling them names, of course, and throwing things at them like batteries and stuff. And uh, it was it was a sad commentary to our lives at that time, man. And and that's the same year, you know, Martin Luther King yeah, is absolutely. assassinated. I was that. What, yeah, so I was what was that like that. when that happened? Well, you know, again, I'm still trying to grasp what the world was, was made of at that time. And the fact that uh, here this man was that came in peace and nonviolent was something that he preached all the time. But 
he was just trying to do the right thing. And uh, unfortunately, our our people that were running the country didn't see it that way. But it's a, again, it's a sad commentary to our lives. So now 1969, you step into the bigs, you put on the green and gold. What's it like? Is is everything within the team? Is Because that was a wild bunch you guys were. Was that a... Yes, they was, were. Yes, they were. <laughs> was that a yes, family immediately were. or what? Well, you come in and you have to adapt to what they're doing. We had the long hair. We had the mustaches and the crazy uniforms with the white shoes. Uh, I tell people, I think we had white shoes before Joe Namath had white shoes. <laughs> yeah, I'd so. say so. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were the rambunctious bunch of players that just... We come to town, they'd lock up the women and children, man, because we were, we were, but we were winning and uh, we got away with it. That, I, I said that for a fact, man. I'm, I was teased when I mentioned that, but uh, we, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, it might've been something in the water out there in Oakland. I mean, you, you, you had these wild days, you had the wild Raiders, you had the Warriors winning. It was just something about that area that was. Yeah. We, it was nice to be a part of that at that time to put the Bay Area on the map and, uh, I'm very uh, fortunate to have uh, Carl Oakland, my adopted home, and I've been out here ever since. Uh, when I probably moved out here, it was 1973 or four. It was after I made enough money to buy a house out here, and uh, so I, I love the area. It's all it's been very nice to me, and uh, of course, having played for the Giants, so I have a following in the West Bay and a following in the East Bay. So. They're A's fans that love Vita Blue, and they're Giants fans that love Vita Blue, but they're fans that just love Vita Blue. I, I think the USA loves Vita Blue, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm one of the like ones, man. So when you're 19 years old now and you're walking into that clubhouse, you got Hank Bowers, your manager, you got Joe DiMaggio on that roster, Raleigh Fingers, Catfish Hunter. It, it's a laundry list, Sal Bando, of, of stars. What's going through your head? It seemed like it didn't phase you at well, all. Well, it didn't because... Uh, I was just, again, a kid in the deer in the headlights uh, kind of situation. I was just trying to do my job to steal old Belichick's line. You know, I was just trying to do my job to make sure I stayed in the major leagues. But not only that, you mentioned Hank Byer, who was a Yankee, and Mr. DiMaggio himself. Right. But now I'm pitching against Al Kaline oh, and Hank Aaron and Harmon Killebrew and Rod Carew. And I'm matched up in a pitching matchup with Jim Palmer. I'm pitching to to Brooks Robinson and 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 uh, you know Frank Robinson went over to the to the Orioles. You know I saw Rocky Colavita. I'm pitching to Willie Harden. Go back oh. to Detroit. I faced Carl Yaskrimski, man, in Boston. I pitched to Thurman Munson on the Yankees. Jeez. And uh, pitched to Reggie Jackson when he got traded from the A's to Baltimore. What kind of like in that first tour of the MLB, how do you manage the nerves or was that ever something that you had to deal with? Well, yeah, you deal with it because it's part of it's part it's part of the thing, man. It's it's you don't know. You just again, you you're still pitching yourself to make sure that you're not dreaming that all of this stuff is happening. And luckily for me, you know, I got my feet wet in 69 and 70. I got a little taste or something. I got called up from AAA when they did the uh, extension of the rosters. Then in 1971, my breakout season, I'm still pinching myself because I've got to, you know, this can't be true. 
this got to be a dream. I'm on the cover of Look and Life and Time and Newsweek and Sports Illustrated right. and Jet and Ebony and all these magazines and uh, Sports Digest and all this stuff. You're still wondering what the heck's going on. And uh, to, to capture off my 71 season, I was chosen by Mr. Bob Hope. I went to Vietnam with Bob Hope in 1971. Jeez. Yeah, man. So it was quite a run for about six years where I got drafted, uh, made it to the majors in three years. Uh, we won the championship three years in a row, won five divisional titles in between that. Uh, went to the White House, met President Nixon, was in office at that time. So this little kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, is done. I mean, I'm like, put this little child, I put my state for sure and my little hometown on the map. And uh, luckily, they've acknowledged that I have two streets named. One street is Vite, another street is blue they crisscross each other back in Mansfield. oh man hey man it's you couldn't couldn't you know this this can't be true it's like a storybook man oh that is beautiful and you know actually so so i i also do work with the world golf hall of fame and when you walk into the world golf hall of fame there's a huge bob hope display and there's a photo of the trip in the 70s there to vietnam what was that like when you headed there well Again, having been in the military, if nothing else, I knew the rank and file of the personnel just by their their stripes and stuff and the brass, you know. So it was interesting uh, that we were in, in Da Nang, Vietnam on Christmas Day, 1971, singing Silent Night, man. It was uh, something that's etched in my brain that I'll never forget. It was a rainy day. And you hear gunfire back in the background of the martyr rounds going off, but... uh uh, something that I was very proud and honored to have gotten a chance to do because I was in the mil- I was still in the military at that time. So uh, I was very proud to uh, represent uh, the country as a civilian slash military personnel to go over and, and uh, let our guys know that we were thinking about it. Now, with with that well-rounded, so, I mean, you're you're in the major leagues making history, and you're also serving in the U.S. military. What's a piece of advice? that you would like to see young men and women across the country, but especially at the Northern Lights School, follow just a quality you'd like to see in them as people? Well, number one, I would say, you know, always try to do the right thing. Uh, Represent yourself, your family, and our country the best of your ability every day. And remember this, you heard Michelle Lewis said all the time, impossible is nothing. And it shows. It shows with what – it was so cool – being at your golf tournament and seeing the kids there, that was that was a very interesting thing, too. We see a lot of charity golf tournaments, but yours was the only one where we see the kids there at the tournament. That was very cool. Yeah, in our Save the Day card, we take a photograph, including kids. at that. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever saw it, but it was a photograph of me with the kids on the uh, yep. that's that 18th uh, green right there. So we've tried to make it special for them. And uh, I've been at with the school 10 years, 10 years, which has gone by so fast, but, uh, it's all good, man. If I can make a difference in a child's life, I feel honored and privileged to have the chance to do so. So now career is on top of the world, three world series one. What is it like for you when free agency comes along? How did that shift the dynamic of locker rooms, player-to-player relationships, and player-to-team relationships? Well, at that time, I, I had gotten old enough to realize that 
it's strictly business. Uh, even though it's a game that I love and get a lot of satisfaction out of playing it, but you know that you're in this to uh, secure yourself financially the best to your ability. And uh, getting a chance to play Major League Baseball, I didn't understand the business side of it my first couple of years, but I, I finally adapted to that. But if it was left up to me, I would have wanted to have played for one team, and that would have been the Oakland A's from start to finish. But, you know, the business part of it took over, and I got traded to San Francisco. Luckily, I stayed in the Bay Area. And uh, the rest is history, as they say, Charlie, you know. And you guys were a powerhouse. And then, you know, when free agency hits and, and Finley kind of dismantles the team, what were what was your attitude towards that? And what's your mentality towards him now? Uh, well, Charlie, I don't speak ill of the, of the dead, but uh, we had a good thing going and uh, he blew it, man. We were the, uh, you know, we, we were on the second team in MLB to win back-to-back-to-back championships. The Yankees did it several times. But we were the lowest-paid team in baseball. And right. uh, he was getting the most out of us. And uh, he was a businessman, which, you know, I understand that part of it. But you got to pay somebody, man. Right. And the guys opted out for free agency. And I, I was brokenhearted because we had a good thing going. And uh, we thought that we could have won. A uh, couple more championships before we d- dismantled our the team itself, but uh, because all the guys were, I was the youngest guy, youngest player on the team up until seventy four, which meant I was turning twenty four that year, and uh, we got beat out playoffs. Boston beat us to go on to have the rights to play Minnesota, not Minnesota, uh, Cincinnati again in the seventy five uh, World Series. So. We got eliminated, but we were close to winning four in a row, man. Oh, my God. You guys could have had – you yeah, who knows how many rings. Could have been six, seven rings by the end of that. Yeah. Even though even though Boston beat us, I thought we would have had a bounce-back season to uh, to come back and, and claim our, our trophy again. Absolutely. And now, yeah. speaking of business, how come Vita Blue and Blue Moon Odom have never either gotten a check out of the Blue Man Group, joined the Blue Man Group, or sued the Blue Man Group. <laughs> uh, I've gotten a lifetime supply of blue, blue, blue moon from uh, from from the blue. Uh, what kind of beers? The beer like? company. Blue, yeah, the beer company. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that's, they should be coming by here and a couple of cases. Yeah, you know, John Oldham and I talk about that all the time, but uh, I don't know. I, I might have you look into that, Charlie. Hey, Charlie Blutes, I'll change my name and we'll seek uh, we'll seek a check over there. And and once I somebody told me that they uh, locally here, I think it was a uh, Sherman Williams paint store, you know, lo- locally owned store, and they had on the little marquee sign outside the store that says, "We have every color except Vita Blue." Wow. <laughs> And you weren't that a part be, of that? That should be worth something per letter itself, right? Right. Wow. Has it blown your mind to see the business of baseball and what it's become? Uh, no, it hasn't. Uh, our uh, leader at that time was Marvin Mill. He did a great job at turning the tide in the players' favor, which, again, uh, I'm not sure if a Mike Child appreciates uh, what we did, paved the road for a guy such as himself, who should be paid handsomely, and he is. He's the best player in the game, but you know the Verlanders of this world and those guys. I'm not sure he. Uh, I'm not sure if he ever met Marvin Mills, but I went on strike at least five times in 17 a 17 year career to stand up for the rights of the players, and I'm always pulling for the players to uh, to benefit from financially because the game is 
is is in great shape financially. Uh, unfortunately, this thing has come along, which is uh put a damper on everything. But I think we'll bounce back. We still have hope, man. You got to have hope. And isn't that right? What you said, you, you'd hope people respect the history, but unless you've lived something like you've seen the country's progression firsthand, you've seen baseball's progression firsthand. It's hard to understand something unless you've lived it. And that that's something yeah, that's, you know, invaluable. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of the players that understand the struggle that we went through to allow them to be making four million bucks a year sitting on the bench as a utility player. Right. You know, a guy hit two fifth and goes to arbitration and gets a three, $3 million raise, even though he was asked for five, he loses this case and he only settles for three. I'll take that $3 million raise, <laughs> you know, hitting, hitting 250. Right. Absolutely. And our, now our 500 pitcher goes to arbitration, same scenario, you know, he'll, he'll get, he'll ask for a $5 million raise and end up selling for three, even though he was eight and eight. <laughs> it is. It, it's incredible. With, with one complete game incredible now what do you what is a guy like you now when you look at the load management we'll use that phrase when you look at the load management used on the pitchers and how how fragile pitchers are treated these days what does it make a guy like you with an arm made of steel think i'm mad as hell but i understand <laughs> that they're doing it because of the investment that they have in the player and uh uh the pitching is such a delicate position uh but my attitude about pitching, Charlie, was hard as I could as long as I could. Some days that meant 80 pitches. Some days that meant 150 pitches. But, you know, if it, if that's what it took for me to complete the ball game, so be it. And uh, we didn't have pitch count. They didn't let us. Uh, they they counted pitch, but, you know, they come out there and say, you got anything left? And they would, ju- they would just the the bullpen action based on how many runs you've given up. You can always check the scoreboard to see if the guy's pitching well. If you see zeros, he's doing his thing. But if not, <laughs> there's a chance there's going to be action in the bullpen. It, it drives me crazy, but I understand it, that they're you. Now they're saying that the pitcher has a, at least faced three hitters per, per outing. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if that's going to work. And they're claiming they're doing it to speed up the game. And I think the game is in good hands, uh, from a rule standpoint, uh, it's the only sport, well, one of the few sports that we don't have a clock, you know? So, right. but if, if they stop the guys from stepping out of the batter's box and adjusting their batting glove, uh, no more deep, no more Garcia Parra, right. the game can be over. And well, the games, it, it shouldn't take you three hours to play a two to one ball game. If it's six to five, I understand it because there's a lot of scoring going on and some changes in, in halt in play and strategies that are talked about all the time on the mound and as well as around the diamond. But the mere fact that score is two to one, that shouldn't be three hours, three and a half hours to play a two to one ball game. No, no. Yeah, it just drives me crazy. But the fan, I don't think the fans care because it's, you know, they're getting that bang for their buck for the entertainment that they're getting, that they're uh, being a witness to. And, uh, I think they constantly sit there. I think now, well, they cut, they stopped selling V after the seventh inning. That might irk a few people, but right. for the most part, <laughs> most people got their peanuts and popcorn and, and Cracker Jacks. And, uh, well, out here they have, uh, they have cheese and stuff too at, at our park in San Francisco. <laughs> and, and play them child of bread bowl and stuff, you know, so. It's fine dining game, now. <laughs> Yeah, the game's still in good hands. But, yeah, what happened to the garlic fries and that that uh, nacho cheese dip? Right, with right. The, with, the, uh, with the jalapenos 
I don't know, San Fran. They might be counting calories. Yeah, that, that's that's base. That, yeah, yeah, that's baseball food, there, man. So, Vita, you got to tell us this story here. Is there any truth to this story that you got MC Hammer his first boombox? Yes, it is. MC Hammer, his brother Chris, and his brother Lewis worked for the A's. Lewis worked in the locker room. Chris worked as the bad boy most of the time and during the summertime i think he was playing little league so mc would fill in for chris on any given time uh and i would give chris or lewis or mc or sometime all three arrived back to their homes after the game would be over so i just i was a bachelor i would wait around let them finish you know uh straightening up lockers and cleaning the spikes and all this stuff so uh during my 71 season I was winning all these games, and we get like gift coupons. I had had enough coupons. I went to collect them, so I wanted to get this Hitachi uh, cassette uh, AM FM radio combination thing. And for some reason, I gave it to MC Hammer, and uh, I did give him his first boombox. He's he's performed at our at the school uh, big gala that we have twice, I think. Yeah the last couple years and i keep him on speed dial i reach out to him every now and then to find out where he's a great kid and i'm glad he rebound from his financial troubles that he had back in the in the uh early 80s man so he's a great kid it it is a true story can't keep a winner down folks plant a seed and you don't know where it's gonna bloom (laughs) so to talk outside businesses mc hammer how about mrs fields what what's the connection with mrs fields well, her name is Debbie Sylvia, uh, but that was her maiden name. I'm not sure what her married name is now. I've lost contact with her, but she was one of the ball girls for the Oakland A's. They had the, they had a ball girl down the left field line and had a ball girl down the right field line, and they both wore hot pants <laughs> with, some, with some white boots. And, uh, you know, during the time Nancy Sinatra was saying, these boots are made for walking. And that's just what <laughs> they'll do. Doing, yeah, and the ball girls are wearing hot pants and boots. Wow, so she had the good hands and she had the good cookies. And, folks, there was definitely magic in the water out there in the bay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of good food, good drinking, when you're at the Vita Blue Celebrity Golf Tournament, there are so many restaurants. The Acapulco Restaurant, you got Bake Sale Betty, Danville Bakery, and then it's always a party. Obviously, this is the blue party you guys are at right now. Deep Eddie Vodka, Drake's Brewing, Golden State Brewery. How cool is it to see the party environment that really surrounds this golf tournament? Well, once again, man, we're so lucky to have the uh, sponsors that we do, and you name them off right there. But uh, they stuck with us from the time from our inaugural tournament up until this point. Now, we just hope that we this is our way of giving back to them and 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 uh, singling them out and letting them know that we appreciate their time, efforts, and service. Now. When you you hit the league, you're touring the league, you're an all-star, you're a national star, what was your favorite stadium to hit on the road? Once again, Charlie, you you got to understand that I'm from Mansfield, Louisiana. Let's make that perfectly clear. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're going to these towns and cities and, you you know, you read about them in your history books and you've seen them in movies. So I think I probably enjoyed Yankee Stadium more than anything else because of the historicness of, of the old, old, old Yankee Stadium, you know, where, where all those great athletes played and where Mickey Mantle hit balls out of the stadium, hit the facade and all that stuff. So that's etched in your brain. So Yankee Stadium comes to mind before anything else. But, uh, you know, having played in old Tiger Stadium, uh, the mistake on the lake in Cleveland, 
uh, that was pretty cool to play in those old historical stadiums. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed Dodger Stadium from a National League perspective. And uh, most of the stadiums are are those those torn. They've torn them down. Old Tiger Stadium and uh, Comiskey Park in Chicago was one of my favorites, also. And you would have been a New York Yankee if the commissioner didn't step in and close, 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 very close, man. So uh, maybe in my next life I'll end up working for the Yankees. <laughs> right. That, it, it does. Do you ever think that like how weird that is? Because if that happened today, you got to think that trade would have went through. Yes. Uh, I, it crossed my mind every now and then, but I think it was made for me to stand open. So here I am. You know. Now, what teammate or coach did you get the most out of on the side of your development as a player or as a man? Oh, uh, my pitching coach was a guy named Bill Polesdale. He was our minor league rolling instructor when I was in the minor league. So he knew my uh, my style of pitching better than anybody else, even probably better than I did. So when I got called up to the majors, he got called up to be the major league pitching coach for the A's. So that was a almost a godsend, you know? And all those great pitchers that you, I mean, you shared roster spots with. Uh, which one, if any, did you trade the most secrets with? Uh, being the younger on the youngster on the team, I'd listen to anybody that had any ideas about my style of pitching that would help me become a better pitcher. Uh, namely, Mr. Blue Moon Odom, who's a personal friend of mine till this day. Uh, Catfish Hunt is not a bad guy to to pick his brain either about <laughs> nah. uh, learning the art of pitching. And guys especially you guys listening from the Northern Lights School. That is so important. How important was that? Just learning as you're moving up the ranks, taking knowledge from any angle you could get it. Well, anything that you can do to better yourself, the pitching mound was my classroom. And uh, when you're on the mound, uh, doing your side sessions in the bullpen, you're trying to learn as much as you can about yourself as well as your opponent, you know? When you were in Oakland, and like we said, that was such a winning town at the time with the A's, the Warriors, the Raiders. Did you and Al Davis ever meet? I have met Mr. Davis, yeah. I've met John Madden before, too. Uh, they were pretty cool. I've met Al Adels. Uh, he's, he, he supports our tournament indirectly. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was nice to be a part of that run that we had with the Raiders and the A's and the Warriors, as you mentioned. But, uh you know, we're so busy in your own little world, but we supported each other uh, from afar. Uh, again, Oakland was a stepsister to big San Francisco, so we put Oakland on the map, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And to, in baseball, it's really a marathon to win a championship. And you're a champion in life. What does it take to run that marathon and take it to the top of the hill? Well, the consistency of your play is obviously the, the big thing. We, we know it's a marathon. You just don't go out there and win the championship in one week or one month. So just being consistent, and, and that we did at, most through, at, at least for that five-year run that we had. In those teams, once you do take one ring home, does, was it confidence built in those teams? Not arrogance, but was there any air of, um, I guess, taking the foot off the gas? Yes, 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 yes. We thought we were the best team, and we knew we were the best team. And the, the cocky confidence comes about, man. So uh, we were cocky in our own right. So, uh, but we were the best team. We knew we were, and uh, we had that uh, the ability to perform on the field on a consistent basis, like I mentioned. And those rings do not lie, folks. Back to back to back. <laughs> now, being a man that's a hero in the town, what does it mean to you now when you look back 
and you see the generations of kids that have come out of Northern Light, how proud does it make you to see those seeds being planted in your adopted hometown now? Well, I have to give all the credit to Miss Michelle Lewis. She has a great, great, great alumni base of kids that have gone through Northern Light, and uh, she's instilled in them that impossible is nothing, and uh, they've taken that and ran with it. But uh, I get to meet a lot of kids throughout the course of the year, some at, at events that they attend, but most of them are going forward with their lives, which is what she wants. Impossible is nothing, nothing. folks. That is a beautiful thing, and you have lived that, man, through and through. You've been an inspiration to the country, a champion, and I can't thank you enough for what you've done and what you continue to do. Charlie, it's my pleasure, man. I want to leave you with this formula, okay? S plus S equals S. And you're supposed to say, what does that mean? I'm still thinking over here. What does it mean? It means sweat plus sacrifice equals success. That's a powerful three S's right there. Sweat plus sacrifice equals success. Amen to that. Vita, thank you so much. Thanks, Charlie. A special thank you to Vita Blue for coming on the big league. And guys, seriously, look into what Vita does at the Northern Light School in Oakland. It is inspiring how many futures he shed his light on. Vita is every inch of the word authentic. Vita, we love you, and we'll see you soon. We hope to see you guys out at a great ballpark soon. Soon enough, baseball should be coming back. Keep our fingers crossed. And guys, if you want to look good when you return to the diamond, be sure to visit our sponsors at Rico Gloves. That's RicoGloves.com, the very best in custom baseball gloves. That was awesome, actually, hearing Vita Blue tell the story of going through the old Sears and Roebuck catalog, finding his first glove. But if you want to look good, I guarantee the nicest-looking glove you've ever owned, it's waiting for you at Rico Gloves. You could also check them out on social media at Rico Gloves. Be sure to say hello to me at the Charlie Boots and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show. We want to bring you guys who you want to hear. Be sure to subscribe to the show today on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all major streaming platforms. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and I'll be seeing you back here at the ballpark next week. We got a good one for you. See you then. Cheers.